All right, well, if you have a Bible or one of those Genesis scripture journals, go ahead and open it up to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 10 through 20 this morning. If you're using one of the the black ESV Bibles, that's going to be on page 9. Page 9. Now, as you are turning there, uh, let me remind us all of what are we attempting to do with this study, right? The study of the very first book of the Bible. Well, we are looking back to the beginning in order for us to see what has God done and what has he promised in history. What has he done and what has he promised in history? And we're also looking to see how is the Bible, even from the very beginning, how was all of the Bible pointing forward to the person and work of Christ? Because we get the opportunity, church, and I mentioned this last week, to read Genesis as Christians. And and, and what I meant by that is we get to look back at Genesis with what's known as a closed canon. Okay, meaning that the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, the Bible is finished. Okay, what we have is called the closed canon of Scripture. We're not waiting for more revelation to come. We trust God's word that this is fully sufficient for everything we need to know about who God is, what he has done, and what he will do for all of eternity. And we're specifically, we're reminding ourselves that we can trust him. We can trust the God of the Bible. We can trust that what he said and has done in the past will be completed. Even for us today, that means that if God began a good work... He will bring it to completion. That's one of God's promises. That he does not forgo his promises. And today is going to be a really good reminder of that. I think especially if you would consider yourself a Christian this morning. Because what we will see is despite sin, despite even after you have become a Christian, right? After you've been saved, chosen by God, you still sin, don't you? You still have failures in your life. You still forget about God's goodness. You still rebel at times. Trust in other things or other people besides Him. And what we're going to see is even when that happens, God does not relinquish His promises. Because His ultimate promises are not set or fulfilled in us, but are set and fulfilled in Him. In Him. And God simply cannot fail himself. That would go against his very nature. And today, as we look at this story about Abram and Sarai going down to Egypt, we're going to see grace continued. Right? It's the title of today's sermon. Grace continued. Continued grace. As God protects his promise, even when his people fail. Now, another disclaimer. I did this last week, but I'm going to add to it about the name Abram, okay? I know that Abram's name is not changed to Abraham until Genesis 17. But like I said, I might say Abraham in referring to Abram. But I need to add a couple of things to that. I also might do that with Sarai, calling her Sarah. I get it. Her name is not changed to Sarah yet, but I might say Sarah instead of Sarai. Additionally, because my Hebrew professor is in the room today. The correct pronunciation of Abram is Avram. Okay? Avram. It's not Abram. 
but I'm going to say Abram, probably. So, you know who you are, give me grace. All right, well, let's go ahead and stop there. And I want to just pray for us one more time before we actually read the text. And I ask, as I pray for you, will you just pray for me, and then we'll read the Bible together. Well, Father, as we delight to just approach your good word, in which you have recalled for us to be looking at today, Carson Valley Bible Church, this day, what a delight it is to have this revelation, to be able to know you, Lord. But God, we know that we are actually still desperate for you and for your spirit to reveal and to illuminate the word for us. So God, we ask that. I ask that for every single person in this room, that you would just give them eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for them this morning. God, I also want to pray for our kiddos and our teachers next door as they lead our, our youngest minds and our youngest hearts in looking at these same promises, these, the same text of Scripture, that you would just give them wisdom to rightly apply it and teach it to them. And that our kiddos would be able to walk out of that room today knowing you in the same way that we desire to walk out of this room knowing and loving you more than when we first walked in. And we trust that good work into your mighty hands, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10. I'm just going to read through the end of the chapter. It reads, Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me. They will let you live. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Church thus ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Thanks be to God. All right, well now as a quick reminder, Genesis 12 that we began last week is, is a start of basically a new section in the book of Genesis, where the first 11 chapters covers a lot of human history. But now here from Genesis 12 to really the, the next dozen chapters, it really hones in on just Abram and his family kind of a a zoomed-in microscope on one part in one family. And we realize that Genesis 12 then introduces us to an important character known as Abram. Abram. 
a man who was called to follow God, not based off of anything of who he was, but simply because of the unconditional election of God on Abram's life. That he chose him. He chose him. And decided to give Abram grace. Right? Grace is an undeserved gift. That gives him the grace of knowing him, the grace of being able to trust him, and all of it. And we have to remind ourselves, that is how God chooses people, church. He does it by grace. And we have to keep that in mind, that God chooses not based on us, right? Not based on who we are or what we can bring to him, but he chooses based off of solely in himself. He's the author of grace and salvation. And thanks be to God for that, right? He doesn't wait for anybody to clean themselves up, right? To straighten out their life, but he says, Come to me. Come to me. Trust me. It's an important concept of trusting in who God is and that he does everything according to his perfect plan. Now, additionally, another important theme that we looked at last week and will be throughout the rest of Genesis is this theme of promise and promise fulfillment. That God chose to promise Abram a couple of things. Do you remember what those things are? Well, he promised at the beginning of chapter 12 to make a great nation out of Abram's family line. He promised to bless him. He promised to make his name great. He promised that he will be a blessing to many. He promised to bless those who bless Abram. He promised to curse those who curse Abram. And we saw that he promised that through the offspring of Abraham, Will all the families of the earth be blessed? Now these blessings will become better known as the Abrahamic covenant as we continue through the book of Genesis. But if we could summarize them today, it's a promise of people in land. Of people in land. But we also noticed looking at the New Testament last week, that these promises given to Abram have their ultimate fulfillment where, church? In the person and work of Jesus. That all of what God is doing here in Genesis is a stepstone, is a picture, is a sign pointing us to Christ. Now, when you guys walked into the church today, I don't know if you noticed this, but on the wall that the, the kitchen and the bathrooms are, there were six paintings of six different scenes in the book of Genesis, done by some of the, just the talented artists that we have in the church. In all of those six scenes, and by the way, I'm not going to tell you which scenes those are. You'll have to figure that out. Maybe later on I'll tell you. But for now, I'll let you look at them and kind of guess. But you'll notice that all six of those scenes, in particular are then fulfilled in the New Testament. That's why even the artists that painted those actually have hidden crosses inside each and one of those paintings, showing that these are pointing to something greater than just that initial scene. So don't leave the church right now. Do it later. Stick with me. If you have to go to the bathroom, though, it's fine, okay? Right. I don't want anybody to feel like they can't leave at all. Now, how we ended last week is we ended last week by looking at how when Abram got to this land in which God told him to, to trust him and go to, simply because he was going to lead him them there, 
What did Abram do when he got there? He built altars. He worshipped God. Not because of anything that is trying to get something from God, but because he had already been given everything by God. He'd been brought to this place. And so Abram built these altars, and he worshipped, despite that the land was occupied, despite that there were certain obstacles to these promises that were given to him. He worshipped. It was courageous, right? There was such honor that we saw in what Abram did. But yet, where we're at today in Genesis, immediately after that spiritual mountaintop experience, we see Abram fail quite miserably. So here in verses 10 through 20, it's a sobering reminder that following God can and likely will still contain deep failures in our life. Times where we are so embarrassed in the way of things that we said and the things that we did. But despite those things, God remains faithful to us. He does not relinquish his promises. So here's the three things I'm going to kind of walk through today. That the promise is threatened. The promise is preserved. And that grace continues to the end. The promise is threatened. The promise is preserved. But grace continues to the end. Now, go ahead and look down at your Bible. Look at verse 10. Because Moses is changing up the scenery a little bit. He's introducing to us another part of Abram's story. And it reads, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. A couple things we have to point out right off the back. Is it doesn't seem like it takes Abram very long to already start doubting God's promise. To doubting that he is where he should be. It even says that they were sojourning there, meaning that it was not a quick trip. It wasn't just a quick right, weekend trip down to Egypt to get food. To be a sojourner or to sojourn into a land meant that you were going to go there and take up temporary residence. You weren't going to try to be a citizen of that country, but you knew that you were going to be there for an extended amount of time, and so you were going to sojourn there. You're going to take up that temporary residence there. And Moses points this out in our text to show us that already Abram is is struggling with God's promise. God's promise that he brought him to a land that he is supposed to stay in. Now, Moses does not tell us explicitly if it was sinful for Abram to go down to Egypt because of the famine. We're not told, like, this was wrong. But I would say, based off of just the way that it's organized in the text, that the, the way that Moses put this right after God promised Abram land, he is trying to contrast this to show us how much that Abram was struggling here. That maybe he still believed in God's promises, maybe he still was trusting God, but what was he not doing? He was not trusting in God's timing. You ever been there? Yeah, I know, me too, right? So as they're going down to Egypt, though, we get a better picture of where's Abram's heart at? Where's his head at? What is he thinking about? And he begins to come up with this scheme involving his wife, Sarai. So he turns to her. What does he say? He says, you're beautiful. What wife doesn't want to hear that? 
But then he, he immediately follows it up saying, but I'm worried it's going to cost me. I'm worried it's going to cost me that the Egyptian rulers will want you, that Pharaoh will want you in his Harlem, and that they will kill me in order to get you. So, say that you're my sister, so they may do well with me. They may give me money for you, and they will spare my life. Let's be honest about this. This is bad, right? right? This, is, this is bad. I don't think we have to try to draw out too much context to go like, right? Even way back then, selling off your wife is not a good thing, right? Abram clearly is not going to win like that husband of the year award. Or he didn't, he didn't grow up listening to that Tim McGraw song, Don't Take the Girl, like I did. He, he, didn't, he didn't have this, right? But rather, he had, we're told, basically, he had no concern for his wife, even though he tried to twist it to make it sound like this was for her, not for him. What was he thinking about? Himself. Himself, church. And that's what sin does. It turns you inward. It makes you more concerned about you and everything you need rather than anybody else. And he probably tried to justify it, right? We see this. And doesn't, aren't we pretty good at justifying our sin in the moment? We're pretty good at convincing ourselves that we have no choice but to do X, Y, and Z. Even though we know that that's that's not what God wants for us. We're pretty good at justifying sin. So Abram says, say that you are my sister. Now, by the way, that was half true. Sarai was Abram's half-sister. Same dad, different mom. Now, we actually learned this later on in Genesis 20, when, unfortunately, Abram kind of repeats this kind of same thing. And don't worry, Moses will comment on, like, marrying your half-sibling later on. Um, But I'm not going to get into that today. But I want to point out, I think, why is... Why is Moses bringing this up? Why is Moses bringing up that this half-truth, though, is not a half-sin? Right? A half-truth is still a full sin. It's still deception. Because the biggest sin that Moses is recounting here in our narrative is a sin that, we've, unfortunately, we've seen before in Genesis. This is not brand new. In fact, it was one of the very first sins. If we were to go back Genesis 3, back in the garden with Adam and Eve, where we had another husband, Adam, fail to protect his wife, fail to lead his wife, fail to trust God and his good promises for them. And he failed to worship rightly in that moment. And that's what we're seeing with Abram again. And it won't be the last time with Abram, and it won't be the last time with others. And we even see this today, don't we? Right? Men failing to lead and love their wives as Christ loves the church. So hear me on this, men. And I'm talking to myself. We're just like Abram. We have failed. We really have. We have failed to worship God rightly at times. And often, the conse- the, maybe the first initial consequences of that have gone to our spouses. And they've had to pay the price. But, but what we will see here today, church, 
is that God is not done with us. He does not excuse the sin of Adam, excuse the sin of Abram, excuse the skin of sin of myself. Right? We have this story in the Bible because God wants us to remember what we are capable of. But yet, God continues to pour out mercy on us. That despite our sin, despite our failures, he's still a good God. And he has not given up on us. And it's a reminder that he has called us to lead and protect those in whom God has entrusted to us. And so we're going to fight that sin of selfishness. We're going to fight that propensity, that bent that we each have to be more concerned about ourselves than those that God has entrusted to us. We have to commit to that. We have to fight that sin. It's very prevalent. But we're going to do so under the banner of grace that God has not done with us. But going back to Genesis 12. What we see, though, with this whole ordeal of, of Abram telling Sarai, hey, don't, don't tell him that you're my wife. Tell him that you're my sister. What we see is that the promise that God has given Abram is threatened. It's threatened. But I want to point out that it's not just threatened to Abram, but it's also threatened to Sarai. Because we'll see later on that promise of a nation, that promise of an offspring was not given to just Abram, but it was also given to Sarai. That she was a part of this. That it was supposed to come from their union. Not just Abram and whoever. We'll see that later on. But the promise is threatened. It's threatened by sin. So what happens? We'll look down at verse 15. Sarai was noticed by those Egyptian rulers and princes. And because of her beauty, what happens? Is she is then taken into the house of Pharaoh. Basically meaning that, so the Pharaoh, this, right, this, the ruler of Egypt, um, he would have likely had this big Harlem, multiple wives at his dispense. And we're told that then Sarai is taken into Pharaoh's house to be a part of that Harlem. But we also see is that Abram, in, in verse 16, was given all this livestock for Sarai, given right, all these servant workers for Sarai. The text says that it went well, right? He was dealt well by Pharaoh, right? All of these different things. Now, a quick side note, too. Is when I was reading some of the, the commentaries on basically everything that Pharaoh gave Abram for Sarai, you know, of all of the livestock and workers and camels, is the commentators were trying to contextualize that, saying, you know, that would have been like a whole lot of money and maybe cars or, or really precious things. And I, and I kind of laughed at that because we live in a context and we're in a church culture here where I don't think I have to contextualize that to you guys. You guys know the value of good livestock, right, and good workers. In fact, it's not uncommon for me out in the lobby to hear people talking about selling animals to one another. Right? You guys get it. It's one of the reasons why I love this church, by the way. But Abram was made out really well in this. So the promise is threatened. Sarah, or Sarai is gone. Now how in the world... Is the promised people to come now? If she's been enslaved. 
Well, here's point number two. The promise, though, is preserved by divine intervention. Divine intervention. That despite the people of God failing to trust him, God will not relinquish what he has promised. So what do we see? We see that the Lord steps in, don't we? That he afflicts Pharaoh and his house with these great plagues. And I believe, personally, that this actually, these plagues stop Pharaoh from ever actually sleeping with Sarai. And actually protects the union that she has with Abram. Now, how did Pharaoh then come to the conclusion that all these plagues were happening to him because God was protecting Sarai and his promises? Well, we actually don't know. Right? We're not told that maybe Pharaoh had a dream about this. Like we'll see later on in scripture. Maybe Sarai said, hey, just so you know, this is probably why this is happening. We really don't know, but somehow Pharaoh was able to connect the dots going, when I brought Sarai into my Harlem, things started to go really bad with me. So what does he do? Well, he goes back to Abram. And he goes back to Abram with more moral concern for this woman than his wife has. Think about that for a moment. That Pharaoh had more concern for Sarai than Abram did. When it came to their marriage covenant. So he says, why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? And then, by the way, he doesn't even let Abram answer. Because he knows there's no good reason for this. And so he just says, take her and go. Just get out of here. And he doesn't ask for his stuff back. He just says, you go, right? And he basically makes his servants have Abram and Sarai and everybody that they came with leave the country. And what happens? What happens, church? Well, you have to actually look down into verse thir- or chapter 13 to see this. But they left Egypt and they returned to the promised land. Now the promise then is preserved. The promise of an offspring is preserved by God, by divine intervention. But as we will see, church, as we will see in the coming chapters, this failure by Abram, it seems like he got off pretty well, doesn't it? Right? That Abram went through this whole ordeal, God stepped in, God intervened, he saved his wife, and then Abram was able to leave Egypt with all of these riches. It seems like he, his disobedience was working out pretty well financially. Well, even though there might be immediate benefits to sin in certain contexts, in the long run, it never works out the way that you think it will. It will lead to much heartache in the future. For example, one of these Egyptian servants that is given to Abram is a woman named Hagar, which will play a pivotal role in the chapters to come. But let's, let's zoom out for a second. Because one of my, my goals in teaching this to us is, is to always tie it to the original audience. Why did Moses record what he is recording in the history of the people for them to know? Why this story? Well, remember, who is the original audience? It's a bunch of former Egyptian slaves known as Israel, the nation of Israel. The, the fulfillment of all these promises we'll see later on. And they would have read the story, maybe heard this story, be spoken to them by Moses, and go, you know, this sounds pretty familiar. 
This sounds a lot familiar and a lot like our history as a nation. Because Moses is highlighting something that would happen to them as well. That God would remain faithful to his promises. So Moses is doing here is highlighting what God has done in the past is what he will continue to do in the future. Because later on, how would God's people end back in Egypt? Because of a famine. That they would be enslaved. And how does God deliver his people out of Egypt? Through plagues. And then as they are hearing the story, they are seeing that, that they've been delivered out of Egypt by God's intervention and his use of plagues. And they're on their way back to the promised land. They're reading this story about Abram going, and he makes it back. He makes it back to the promised land. And so we can have confidence that God is going to make, give us, make us get back to the promised land. You see, when Moses is recounting these stories, it's... Israel is being able to interpret and see this and apply it directly to them. But we also get to see this and interpret this in the way of how does that point to this greater fulfillment of what is to come for God's people. That we too have been delivered by God's intervention. And if you read the book of Revelation, you'll actually see God using plagues once again to deliver his people. On their way back to where, church? This ultimate promised land. You see, these are all themes and shadows of what is ultimate and is to come. But notice, I think that the Israelites, when they're listening to this, and I hope you hear this too, they're probably going, you mean even after we've been chosen by God, even after we have committed ourselves to following him, if we fail, does God take away those promises. No, he doesn't. Israel had a whole lot of issues, even after right, they were freed from Egyptian slavery. But God's grace continues. He always continues to give God's people what they do not deserve. And so we get to step into that as well. Because we fail as Christians, don't we? We sin. We talk a lot here at this church about coming to faith in Christ, right? Realizing that in and of yourself, you could never be made right with God. You can never do, be good enough to be perfect because we all have sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We talk about that often. We should. Because God went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross not for his sin, but for our sin, right? To atone for our sins rather than for us atoning for them later on. And by the way, we would never be able to atone for them. But I want to highlight that it's not just, God's grace is not just for coming to faith, but it's also persevering in the faith. That when we do mess up, when we do sin, what do we do? We, we return to the cross. The Bible calls this repentance. From turning from that sin and turning back to Christ. And we respond to him, right? We respond by repentance, not to, right, as to somehow get our salvation back, but because we still have it. Because God's work on the cross was final and finished and perfect. 
And so at the cross, we remember that he'd atone for all our past, present, and future sins. So as a people, church, when we fail, and we will, you know this. And if you're not sure, ask somebody close to you. They'll tell you. What are we to do? Return to the cross. Return to Jesus. Because grace continues with him. And we continue to trust the promises of God. Promises that we have been saved by grace. Grace began our salvation and grace perseveres our salvation to the end. So God not only saves us, but sustains us. That he is in charge of not only coming to faith, but also staying in the faith. Staying in the faith. God does not unadopt anybody, okay? He doesn't change his mind on you. He doesn't save you and go, oh, then years down the road go, I, I, didn't, I didn't think they would do that. That doesn't happen with God. He knew when he went to the cross, he knew everything in which you had done and will do. And he gladly went there. The Bible says it was the joy that he had within himself that he went to the cross. Listen, every sin in the Christian life then, Right, speaking to Christians, every sin in the Christian life is not for you to doubt your salvation, but rather to place you in a deeper and deeper dependency in reality that you need Jesus and his gospel for all of life. That's how God uses sin now. And like he will do with Abram and Genesis and everyone that comes after him, as he constantly drives home, that even when you come to faith in me, you have to remember that you are not the hero, I am. That you are not not only the promise maker, but you're also not even the promise keeper when it comes to salvation. That belongs to God and God alone. And church, I hope that you never get tired of hearing that. We're going to talk about promises made and promises kept a whole bunch in Genesis. Probably nailed it to the walls. Because we want to constantly be reminding ourselves, just like Abram, we need grace. We need continued grace. When we need God to come, and that's exactly where the Bible goes. This continued grace is throughout Scripture. And it can seen most clearly in Jesus. Not just that the promises made and the promises were kept by him, but there's also this greater reality of, of all these figures that we have in the Bible that they are pointing to, to Jesus. Meaning that Jesus is the greater Abram who left his home to follow the plan of God. And when things got tough, right, when trials and temptations came to, to maybe doubt the promises of God, what did Jesus do? He never doubted. He never sinned. He didn't do what Abram did and, and forget and try to take on things himself or go beyond what God had told him. Or things like what we do when we doubt or go beyond what God has told us to trust him. And Jesus is the greater Abram that instead of failing to protect his wife 
to save his own skin. What did Jesus do? He laid down his life for his bride, the church. The greater Abram church is Jesus. And I hope, I hope you can see it. I hope it's obvious. And if you would not consider yourself a Christian this morning, maybe you're still investigating, this is what we want you to know. This is why we're going through Genesis. It's not so we can try to moralize this and say, be like this person, don't be like that person. We're trying to open this up and say, we're all in desperate need of God to come, to God to do what we cannot do. What do we do when it seems like everybody's failing? Well, we put our hope in the only one who didn't fail, the only one who has lived a perfect life. And that is Jesus and Jesus alone. That's what we want you to hear. We want you to turn to him. Trust him. And for those of us who would consider ourselves Christians this morning, how do we respond to this? Right? What do we do with this continued grace that's poured out to Abram and, dis- and even poured out to us? Well, I think we walk out of here going, sin is serious. Sin cost Jesus his life. He does not belittle sin. But despite our failures, despite our sin, what about God's promises? They continue and are never relinquished because he is the promise maker and the ultimate promise keeper. What a gift it is to have continued grace, church. All right, let's go ahead and end there. Let's pray, and then we'll respond. Well, Father, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that we have these these mighty examples and narratives reminding us of the God in whom you are. That's a God that despite my sin, despite our sin, despite Abram's sin, You continue to move your perfect plan forward. And you do it in your own timing. And so God, we ask that you would help us grow in that. Grow in trusting you. Grow in trusting your timing. And we would remind ourselves that you are good. And it's always perfect. And so Lord, we want to respond to the grace in which you have bestowed upon us. Grace today, grace tomorrow, and forevermore. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we do want to respond as we typically do with at least singing one more song. So if you guys are able to, please stand. And we're going to to sing Come Thou Fount together, and I'll come back up after that.